This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Yes, it is. It's a podcast and you love it. If you've been following international headlines in any capacity for the last couple of months, then you'll likely be aware of the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Around a month ago, in late February, Russia carried out what it has maintained to be a special military operation to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. The attack is now internationally considered as a war of aggression. The invasion of Ukraine is the largest conventional military attack on a European state since World War II. It has also triggered Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II, with over 3.8 million Ukrainians leaving the country and millions more being internally displaced. To help explain the developing situation in Ukraine, we were lucky enough to talk to Peter Grace, a lecturer of New Zealand foreign policy at the Otago University's Department of politics. He is also the co-director of the Otago National Security School and has recently completed his PhD thesis on early Cold War intelligence. Uh, Just before I play out the interview, I thought it would be worth mentioning that a development in the conflict had not yet occurred at the time of recording. Uh, Yesterday at a press conference, Jacinda Ardern announced that New Zealand will be sending nine intelligence analysts to the UK and Belgium to gather intelligence on the war in Ukraine. The intelligence gathered by these NZ Defence Force staff would then be passed on to Ukraine's military to support its fight against Russian troops. Uh, it's, it's really a shame that I couldn't get Peter's take on this development, but I guess that'll just have to wait until next time. Uh, anyways, without further ado, here is my conversation with Peter Grace. Kia ora, Peter. Thank you for joining us. Um, Peter, for those who have remained unaware, can you give us a brief synopsis of the conflict in Ukraine? What were some of the contributing factors that led us to where we are now? I want to start with the caveat that I'm, I'm not a Ukraine specialist uh, and, and only fleetingly um, because I did it in my master's, um, a Russian specialist. But uh, I'll do what I can. Uh, so factors involved in the Ukraine-Russia dispute. Uh, well, probably worth starting with the most obvious one, and, and I think one that's quite crucial to it, which is that uh, Ukraine, the word Ukraine roughly translates to uh, to borderlands. Uh, so Ukraine was seen by the Russians as uh, a stretch of uh, land that was uh, part of their defence system, and that dates back a long, long time. Uh, and, and so when you think of things like a sphere of influence, uh, something that was called the borderlands uh, is definitely in that category. Uh, and so there's a history of... Of, uh, of colonialism uh, attached to Ukraine's story. No so joke. what you've got is, um, is a, a, a country that's pretty flat, uh, grows a lot of wheat, uh, so it's, there's a lot of primary produce, uh, but there's also a very uh, considerable defence industry and tech industry, very, very high-tech industry in Ukraine. Uh, so... Uh, the Donbass, which is the area of the east of Ukraine where the fighting has been going since 2014, uh, and the Crimea, uh, also uh, in the in the south, are very key to um, Russia's uh, strategic uh, needs. Uh, the Donbass is where tanks were made in the Soviet Union days. So, you know, uh, from a strategic point of view, uh, it's the worry that Ukraine is starting to shift away from Russia towards the West. And you see a, a very marked difference between East Ukraine, which has a lot of Russian-speaking people in it, 
Uh, and again, uh, in the way that you have with the English and the Irish, you have these families that are Russians living in Ukraine and have been living there a long time. Uh, and in the West, close to Poland and Moldova, which are uh, very Western orientated uh, and historically Western and Ukrainian speaking. So you've got a strategic argument, uh, you've got uh, a high-tech argument, and you've got an, uh, a nationhood argument all happening at the same time. Uh, and so when the uh, Russians talk about going into Ukraine to uh, rescue uh, Russian-speaking people, they're kind of serious about that, and, and they're also very serious about not letting uh, Ukrainian nationhood thrive, because that means the further away they get from the, the Russian conception of it as a borderland. On top of that, you've got other things happening. You've got uh, Putin's genuine concerns about the West. When I say genuine, uh, what I mean by that is they're quite rational concerns from his perspective, that the West is encroaching further and further into Russian old territory, uh, and also showing uh, Russia up. You know, Russia's a kleptocracy uh, where the people at the top just cream off an enormous amount of money for their own personal wealth. Uh, and and uh, the idea that Ukraine would join uh, the EU, which was mooted, has been mooted for a long time, uh, is scary to the kleptocrats uh, who might see uh, a state of Ukraine actually doing better than the state of Russia. Uh, so there's another idea there about nipping it in the bud before it becomes something so blindingly obvious that one group of Russian people um, are living in a kleptocracy and the others are living in a democracy that's doing rather well, thank you very much. Uh, so there's that as well. Right. So thank you for outlining some of those uh, factors as to why we are in the situation we're in. It seems like a very uh, complex conflict um, with, with, with varying opinions and factions, even within Ukraine, which, which obviously makes it a conflict with no easy solution. Um, In your, in your opinion is what are the solutions? Um, And, and, and has the conflict already begun to show, any signs of slowing down? I mean, NATO has recently uh, estimated that there have been around 15,000 Russian deaths. Um, has Russia been unsuccessful in their efforts? Have they begun scaling back in any way? Uh, I thought, uh, like a lot of other people, that uh, the war wouldn't happen or that it, uh, it wouldn't happen to the extent it did. Uh, and my, uh, I've come around a full circle now where I'm pretty much of the opinion where I started, which is we're going to see a split between East Ukraine and West Ukraine. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's what Putin's probably likely to have to accept now, that he's going to say Crimea is Russian uh, and the Donbass is, is Russian uh, and, and let Kiev and, and all of the cities to the, the, uh, um, to the, the West uh, go. Uh, he's not going to get those. Uh, and there'll be a, probably a frozen war in the way that we've had since 2014 anyway in East Ukraine. Uh, but a frozen conflict that continues um, for the next umpteen many years, uh, uh, probably some sort of recognition that they've lost territory uh, and probably some, uh, quite a lot of uh, flipping towards the West, uh, joining NATO if NATO will let them, joining the EU, which seems more likely, and bringing all that tech strength that they've got, particularly in their, in their uh, produce the other good thing that might come out of it is that Ukraine might be a better democracy than it was before the war. So that's my thing. They're, they're, um, they're fascinating predictions. World war, war, hopefully more democracy. Yeah. You you brought up this idea of <clears throat> Ukraine's assimilation into, into the West, essentially, into the EU, perhaps into NATO. 
the West is obviously in this situation in quite a tricky position. Um, they've imposed all these uh, crippling sanctions on Russia already, which have which have really damaged the economy of Russia and and, well, and really back on that now. They've what? Sorry, uh, the rubles returned to, to what it was, I believe. So um, right. So the, the Russians are managing their way out of that risk to be competently. Okay. Better than they have in war. Yeah. Okay. So the ruble has stabilized, but it's kind of the the West is stuck in this position, especially the US, where they uh, they're hesitant in escalating the conflict much further than um, economic sanctions alone. Um, recently, the Ukrainian president uh, Zelensky uh, he requested a no-fly zone over Ukraine, um, and and Biden has has been quite resistant to these requests. Do you think that's a good idea? Well, the, the argument against the no-fly zone is, is if you've got NATO planes enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which you, ha- you can't have a no-fly zone if you don't enforce it, uh, then they're in the middle of the battle, uh, and it only takes one uh, plane to get downed, either a Russian one or a NATO plane, uh, and you have a world war on your hands uh, or something similar. Uh, so you know that's why I've been careful about that. Um, I, I've been... Uh, it's interesting, you know, there's been a discussion for the last couple of years about whether we're in a new Cold War. Uh, and, and a lot of people said, uh, look, you know, don't even go there. This, it's not similar. But it is similar now. What, what we've got now is this very point that you're talking about, escalation and managing escalation. Uh, and, uh, and that is what the Cold War was all about. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, you're thinking about this with some degree of, um, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, concern, I'll put, put it nicely, uh, this degree of concern was what I was living through when I was your age uh, in the Ronald Reagan years, um, that at any moment somebody might push the button. As, um, and, uh, and so we had a fear of nuclear escalation. Uh, we had a fear that, that uh, anything could trigger a hot war out of a Cold War. Uh, and you have to say that both sides, but, you know, uh, particularly the Americans, managed that really well and do understand what the rules of engagement are in the Cold War. And I think what we're seeing now is that, that rule book being played out uh, where you have discussions about uh, nuclear, the use of nukes uh, on a limited scale. You have discussions about uh, 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 policing, uh, policing war, stopping it from getting out of hand. Uh, you have very large-scale discussions about who wants to join our side. Uh, and you know the, all of the, Bal- uh, the the Baltic states are now absolutely committed to NATO. Uh, Finland is discuss- discussing joining NATO. Uh, lot, so a lot of people that were very busy trying to sit on the fence in the Cold War, mm. uh, or, or on the other side, and now it's flipping over. Um, so uh, really, Putin's having to uh, uh, live with the consequences of his actions, which is that he's created a situation now uh, where. Uh, uh, a coalition is getting stronger and stronger against him. And I don't think that he thought that. I think he thought he was just going to get to push and the coalition would just the coalition would just completely collapse. And that hasn't happened. It's gone the other way. Hmm. So when we're talking about uh, worry about escalation, uh, I don't see that as a worry. I see that as uh, uh, escalation being an instrument of keeping peace, uh, which is uh, if you threaten me, mate, I'll threaten you bigger. Hmm. I want to, Bring it uh, back slightly closer to home. Obviously, <clears throat> Aotearoa isn't part of the North Atlantic, and, and so we can't be as directly involved. But from a New Zealand foreign policy perspective, as that is your field of expertise, what can our government feasibly do to support Ukraine um, 
without escalating these tensions any further. Yeah, okay, so, so going back to my thing, uh, escalation is not a bad word in that regard. Escalation is part of the management of the process. Uh, and secondly, uh, New Zealand is uh, not part of, the, of NATO, but, but, but pretty close to it. We have a, an envoy, a defence uh, envoy in London who uh, liaises with, with NATO, and, and we have quite a strong relationship with NATO. Uh, and not dissimilar to our relationship with Five Eyes in the sense that even though we are a member of the club with Five Eyes, uh, it's part of the, that Western alliance that we uh, have a relationship with. Um, so uh, New Zealand can't do much in terms of the escalation part of it, uh, except to try and uh, slow things down uh, and, and to reiterate our role as a peacemaker, which, you know, at some, t- at some points that seems a bit laughable that New Zealand... Uh, uh, such a little state puts its hand up to manage world issues like we did with Palestine not so long ago. You know, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it kind of thing, a squeaky voice. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, uh, the, the thing that's so good about New Zealand's foreign policy position is that it's consistent and it, and it actually has been consistent to going back to the League of Nations days. Uh, we've done a pretty good job of saying what we believe and what principles we hold dear and trying to keep everybody else to those principles. Uh, and Nanaima Husa, you know, uh, I've had my, some doubts about her uh, ability to do the job, but I think those doubts are, are vanishing quite quickly over the last few days. Uh, but I think uh, that in the past she's been trying to be careful to keep the government position, which was a little bit sitting on the fence, not going to committee the side kind of thing. Uh, and and, and that, that's, that's, that whole position is being whittled away quite fast with what's happening in Ukraine. New Zealand's definitely coming out and against Russia, mm. against Russia's behaviour, I should say, uh, and, and, and more with the Western coalition than we've been in recent years. Uh, so, you know, New Zealand's got a lot, got a good, in a good place to be able to remind the world that the peace that we've had since the end of the Cold War was a worthwhile peace that was based around some pretty good concepts about uh, rules-based order and, and things that, that, that we needed, but we also lived and breathed. Uh, thank you, Peter. I really appreciate your your wisdom um, and insight into this topic. Even though it isn't your 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 strength, um, my bag. Thank you for asking. Not your bag. Um, yes. Yeah. No. You've <clears throat> you've been a wonderful help. Um, and yes, please feel free to talk to us here at Radio One uh, whenever you want. Thank We'd you. love to have you. That was a fucking Radio One podcast, mate. There's heaps more at r1.co.nz.